0: You're listening to the Going Offsides podcast, your home for lacrosse news, stories, and everything in between. This week's guest
1: has been a figure in the lacrosse community for over 20 years, from playing at Towson to being a player in the MLL, a coach, a GM, and now he works for Legendary Sports Group with a a couple of other legendary coaches, to be quite honest, Spencer Ford. So, you know, you, you obviously grew up in in kind of like this little area of, you know, around Towson, you you pretty much spent a majority of your life there. So how, how did you find the game of lacrosse? Like what, what's that backstory?
0: Uh, To be honest with you, the backstory is, is I have an older brother. He's 14 months older than myself, Michael. Um, We were clearly crazy kids when we were growing up and, you know, the time that I guess we were still in the toddler age group, um, there was nothing for us to do. And we were constantly fighting, constantly outside wrestling this and that my mother actually ran into uh, what turned out to be one of their, their, my parents' greatest friends, Nancy Gately, um, who said, get the boys involved in ice hockey. And so right up the street from her house was not hockey rink. And so from there we ran into the rate of family, which is obviously clearly well known. Um, and these rate of balls where it was Derek Raderball who uh, went to Boys Latin and played for Loyola College, and Dan Raderball who went to Loyola and then played for University of Maryland, of course. And so we all played ice hockey together, and those were the ones that kind of got us involved in uh, in our first lacrosse, which happened to be Cockeysville rec. So at that time, you know, you could name names of like Timmy Whiteley, Michael Watson, Tucker Raderball, Dan Raderball, Derek Raderball. You know, all these. Tony Nugent, Ryan Smith, all these phenomenal players, you know, and and it was just it was awesome. So, you know, our rec council w- would have probably competed with, if not beat most of the uh, these high end clubs nowadays. It was it was that competitive and that good. So it was something that was fast and physical like hockey. Um, we got to score more. And so we, you know, it, we just fell in love with it right away.
1: So for you, it was hockey first, lacrosse second. But. Maybe not with well, passion me, but for, but me, for exposure.
0: Was, for me it was soccer first. You <laughs> okay. know? And my my first and, and only love was playing soccer. I was uh I was a pretty good left back. I played, you know, all the Olympic development, all that stuff all growing up. I would actually miss high school lacrosse games to go to my soccer games. Um and I didn't play the majority of my sophomore year due to soccer. Um, but it was, you know, it was something that when it came down to it, you know, the realization of that you're pretty good at it, you love playing it, and now it's my life, which is crazy. So I would have never thought many, many years ago that this would be what I do full-time.
1: So at what point then did you kind of switch gears from, I got to spend time soccer, hockey, lacrosse? When did the focus become lacrosse?
0: So in ice hockey, I stopped playing when they started hitting. And <laughs> okay. we started traveling. We started traveling up north to Canada, and you know into those areas and those teams would beat us senseless and it wasn't any fun anymore and I remember um, a guy named Eric Bogonecki who was really good friends with Dougie Knight was playing for the Coca-Cola Selects and he skated on the ice and I skated off the ice and that was the last time I (laughs) skated so that was hockey and then with soccer and lacrosse I played soccer you know obviously all the way through high school Mm -hmm. and got some scholarship offers along with lacrosse and the reason that I stopped playing soccer was I was offered more money with lacrosse and I didn't have to take any tests to get into those universities. So um, all I had to do was get a high school teacher to write a recommendation. So it was easy for me because I was not taking another test.
1: <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And so what your recruitment, if I, if I have my years, right. So you were recruited by coach Runk then to Towson.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Okay. And then you were also yep. obviously there when coach Seaman took over. So. So a couple questions with that. Why Towson or was it strictly like location plus money? And then what was the transition from coach Runk to coach Seaman? Cause I, I'm sure, you know, coach Runk was there for like 30 something years and then coach Seaman was at Hopkins for a long time. So like, there must've been some kind of excitement, but also like one legend leaves, another one enters kind of situation. So, so talk me through
0: Absolutely. that. So, um, Towson back in the day, they were, you know, they were, you know, consistently in the playoffs. They always had a reputation of being a tough minded group, clearly played with great skill and they had some really high level players. Um, And I'd like to consider myself a guy that if would get into a fight, I don't know if I'd win it, but I'd like to consider myself a tough guy. Um, Most people would probably say I'm not, but I just like that atmosphere. I was very familiar and friendly with the area of Towson being that I went to boys Latin and Towson High School. Um, you know, I got to cross over York Road from high school to college. And on my high school team, I think that there was, we counted seven or eight of us that went from, you know, our 90, 1992 team at Towson all the way through our 1994 team um, that we all were able to be teammates. So it was, it was very familiar. Uh, I fell in love with Coach Runk and who he was um, you know, and, and some of the the New Yorkers that they had on the team at the time, it just, it was just a really tough bunch. So it was easy for me to make a decision. And all the way up until I got into college, up until I, my first class, I was actually going to play both soccer and lacrosse. So, um, at the, at Towson soccer offered me a pretty good deal money-wise as well as the lacrosse team. Um, but I just, my, my folks and I just didn't think that I would, would be good enough academically to, to handle both. So, Uh, Lacrosse was the one I choose, and looking back, it was clearly the right choice. Um, When Coach Runk left, it was very very sad because he's like a father figure to all of us. You know, he had been there for so long, and we didn't want to be the class that let him down. And and we had lost, and you know, although close games, we still had lost, and that didn't help his cause. Uh, He was a very loyal man, is a very loyal man. We still keep in touch today. Um, I was actually lucky enough to be on the committee, so in a in over the course of you know, a couple of months, we were able to do a ton of research on some coaches. Coach Billy Durgel from Loyola at the time. Um, some of the other guys, Coach Hoss was there. And, you know, we had interviewed some guys. And Bill Durgel was actually our choice in terms of who myself, Todd Paradise, and Kevin Sturm had uh, had wrote about. And that's who we liked the most in the interview. So we're thinking, OK, these guys, like this is, you know, they're the front runners, blah, 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 blah. Coach Seaman gets, you know, gets let go from Hopkins and within 12 hours, he was hired by Towson and the rest is history. He brought on Paul Cantabeni and Stan Ross. And, you know, I had my best year as a senior. I, I almost doubled in points from, I went from 50 to to 80 some points and I led the league and led the the nation in assist and, and was second behind John Grant in points. So um, Coach Seaman and Coach Brunk were, were very different in terms of, you know, their style, but they were also very similar in how close they got to the players. It didn't take coach Seaman and I long to become very, very, very close. And, and to this day I keep in touch with them yet only play with them for one year, you know, okay. so right. his ability to establish uh, build and, and continue relationships is, is unlike many.
1: Okay. I can't imagine. I mean, you, you had a pleasure of playing for two great coaches Um I, again, I'm trying to make sure my years are all right here, but uh, did you overlap then with uh, Josh Tankersley? Tank came in
0: after after me. Uh, funny story. I That was right around when they went to the Final Four in 2001, I was part of the inaugural Baltimore Bayhawks. And okay. so we didn't have a lot that we could do to stay in shape. Back then there wasn't many trainers and things of that nature. So what we did was we all just went back to our old colleges and practice, and fortunate enough, the Towson team that was bad the year prior and the year prior to that, um, they were making that Final Four run, and I was lucky enough to be the opposition's attackman, their best attackman in each of the practices. So not only did I get, you know, to get beat on by Adam Baxter and players like that, but I also got to become very close with Josh Tankersley and some of the other guys. And then we ended up playing club together for Single Source, which then became known as Smartlink. So it was a lot of fun a lot of guys that I was able to recruit to get to those, to those teams. And we had some great success there.
1: Yeah. The only reason I ask is because you know, I'm, I'm from Michigan, obviously tank as well. And we went to the same high school and he was like our claim to fame for a long time. Like this is the best player to ever graduate from our high school. And I knew he went to Towson, but uh, I wasn't sure if there was an overlap there, but yeah, I, he was just known like we would hear stories that he was like shooting so hard that goalies cups were breaking and, and he just had an absolute cannon.
0: He uh, he let it go and, and had great speed. And and he was one of the, the greatest stick stringers of all time. All the way through my pro days, he strung all my sticks. My mom strung them up to college. And then when I met Josh, he was the only one that could, could match my mom's stringing. So uh, he was my guy.
1: That's that's a unique thing. I don't know many moms that can string. So that's, that's pretty impressive right <laughs> there. But someone's got to do it, right? So, um, that's it. So, so you graduate, you know, it's pretty well known that you, you played very briefly in 01 and then you kind of came back in 06 to the MLL and, you know, through all my digging and all my, you know, me asking a ton of people, no one would, no one really knew. So what was that kind of gap? What, what were you doing pretty much in those first five, six years? Getting cut okay
0: to be honest with you it was back in those early days if you made a team certainly in Baltimore and Long Island you know not to take anything away from the other other four teams that were in the inaugural season but it was the who's who of of lacrosse and to make a team which I was super thrilled in 2001 thought I had a great tryout Uh, my ego and arrogance took over and I was let go from the team and and couple of years after that, I would consistently try out and it just didn't work out for me. So I had, you know, I had a lot of learning, a lot of growing to do. Um, and I was able to play, which was still pretty high level across in the USCLA, which a lot of guys still played in um, and were allowed to play in. So I had great success there. And in 2006, Bugs Combs was in Rochester and he um, talked B.J. O'Hara into giving me a shot. They gave me a shot. I made the team. I dressed in the first game and led the team in points and then was cut. And I was sitting at the pool drinking a beer and John Tucker called me and said, uh, do you still play? And because I'm still a bit of a smart aleck, I said, play what? And just because I knew what he was calling about. And he said, I'm out in LA coaching the Riptide and would like to bring you in. And, you know, Bugs talks greatly about you as do some of the other guys. And he's like, I want to reunite you with Michael Watson who I played with when I was a kid. And the one thing I told him was, I said, look, I've been through a lot with this. And I, it's been a lot of ups and downs To from making teams to getting cut. I said, if, if there's an assist record, which he found out there was, I said, if you give me a full season, I'll shatter it. And so I went in and halfway through 06, and we had some great success. And that was in, in 07. We kept most of our team together, had a good draft, and I was able to shatter the assist record. Um, and our team had a lot of great success, which was a lot of fun.
1: It's, it's honestly, it's kind of one of those stories that, that kind of make movies about, I mean, I don't think there's a Disney movie about you, you know, making it after all those years and then shattering the assist record, but it, it is kind of feel like that. I mean, you you pretty much burst onto the scene in 06, 07 and 47 assists in an MLL season is pretty absurd. 50. 50? 50, sorry, they, got, sorry.
0: they changed it. Yeah, they got three wrong.
1: <laughs> well, it's, I, you, you have a... God, comp- they actually- Committed to memory. They I love made, it.
0: They got, a, uh, they got an analytical guy to go through and make sure that all of the records, all of the points were correct. And they found three more assists, which I'll take them.
1: Yeah, why not? It's it a lot it's, harder
0: for these guys to chase them, right?
1: Right, right. And then you make the All-Star game. And then I believe, didn't you make it the next year as well?
0: I made it for three years in a row. Okay. And in, in eight, I set the assistant points record. The points record got broken by Michael Kimmel. Mm -hmm. Um, but the assist record for us in the all-star game is still standing.
1: Okay. And so I, I mean, this for me, I mean, MLL has created a lot of great players over the years, but for me, this is kind of like the golden era of the MLL, in my opinion, maybe it's my age, just, you know, I'm 31. So like, these are all the guys that I was looking up to while I was in college and high school. So, you know, you played with a lot of great people, a couple questions to go along with that. Who was, one of if not the toughest uh defenders to cover you during your your career and then who were some you know you're an assist guy so who were your favorite guys to feed you know where you, you, you knew know. that you could get it to them and they were going to bury it
0: absolutely so in terms of guys covering i would take every defender on the baltimore bayhawks back in the day brian reese Matty Twan, um, Hugh Donovan, Robbie Dorth. I've never been slashed so hard. In fact, I think that they actually put back rack raisin out of business because they went through so many shifts that year. So certainly those guys. But in terms of when I was having great success in the MLL, um, Lee Zink, who I, who I saw the most, um, was just phenomenal because he was so technical and you couldn't play many games with him. Um, but a guy that I was actually scared to play against was Brian Splina. Okay. Um, he just he inflicted pain physically and mentally, and it was just hard to focus. And, and to me, you know, as a coach nowadays, it's like, you know, if, if a defender's big and strong and physical, you know, they're trying to take you out of your focus. And if you allow them to, you know, you could end up having a bad game. And it's not that I didn't have good games against Brian. It's just that I just didn't want to take the hit. I didn't want to take the beating that he was more than willing to give. Um, And it didn't matter because I think that he didn't care much about his well-being either. And when you run into a guy that just doesn't care, you know, about what happens to himself, like you can't imagine what's going to happen to you. So
1: he had a great way
0: of getting under my skin physically and mentally. So I would say both him and Lee Zink when I was, when I was playing high level lacrosse, it was certainly those two. Okay. Um, In terms of targets, you know, Bugsy Combs and I have known each other since we were six years old and we just have this chemistry. I would, if if we could both, he's in a little better shape than I am, but I would imagine if we step back on the field now as a duo, um, we would probably rack up and goals because we just have that chemistry. So, you know, we were lucky enough to play on the Riptide and the, uh, the Rattlers together and, and the Bayhawks, the Washington Bayhawks. But, um, He could handle everything. He was open. I was a righty. He's a lefty. So it was easy to feed him. Uh, After bugs, I would say Terry Reardon. Terry Reardon was just so long, you know, six, six, something like that. And I mean, you don't really see much of an alley oop in lacrosse and I was throwing them. I think that he and I invented them. Um, But with that, I think you have to give great credit to Michael Watson because what he did in those years that I was with the LA riptide, he was beating double teams, And instead of being selfish and scoring or getting his own assist, he would throw it to me knowing that I would make the proper look. So you can't – I can't really just give all the credit to myself to give those balls to Bugs and to Terry and to Sean Lindsey without letting everybody know what Michael did. I don't think I ever had to wash my uniform. Right. You know, Michael did all the dirty work, and I got to stand behind the goal, catch it, and pass it, and, and would take all the credit for it.
1: So he's the second assist guy.
0: No doubt, 100%.
1: Okay. And so you kind of mentioned it and I was going to ask this later, but you know, I saw the 2019, I think you played in the alumni for the alumni, uh, game in Lake Placid for the MLL. So a, what was that experience like dressing with a lot of those guys again? And B, if there's a guy, I mean, you're in your mid forties, right? So you're around these guys, these alumni, who's the guy that can still like, you wouldn't doubt it. If he was put on the field today, he could still hang.
0: I would say there's a couple of guys, Um, Roy Colsey, hundred percent. I think that Kyle Sweeney can still get it done. And in terms of a guy that's the same age as me, but has always been an idol, John Hess. I just think that his mind and his ability to distribute the ball, I think that he would find a way. So, you know, those guys, you know, stay in in pretty decent shape and, and could get after it. There was an old guy uh, from Johns Hopkins that I would think if he decided he wanted to play right now, uh Butchy, Kelly, Brendan Kelly, uh, that we call Butchie, went to Hopkins, played with Petro and those guys. I think that that guy could still get it done. And then of course Lindsey Dixon. There was nobody that had hands like Lindsey. Anybody that played in a in a tournament like Ocean City or Bale or Placid, you know, they would always want Lindsay to be on their team. So I, I, I would say in terms of the pro guys, you know, certainly John Hess. I would definitely think that Kyle Sweeney can still get it done and and you know Roy Colsey. And then my buddy over at Towson University, there's no way that Sean Natalyn, if he straps it on, he's not shutting somebody down.
1: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all that you mentioned him. He just looks <laughs> like a unit still. Like, the yeah. guy just stays – he just looks like he's in his mid-30s forever. And that's there's it. guys that look much older in the league. So, that's fantastic. Um, so, you know, you, you finish your career, unfortunately, you know, primarily due to injury, Correct.
0: Yeah, I tore my, my ACL and my meniscus, and it was, I had gone through some surgeries leading up to it, and then the, the last straw was the, the ACL meniscus, I couldn't walk anymore.
1: And, and the, you know, unfortunately, that happens to a lot of people, but you decided to, you know, basically keep, keep lacrosse going, and so, you know, I don't know yeah. what the first thing you did was, but around that time, you started the MILL. M-I-L-L. If that's correct, and you also started getting into the you know the management and coaching side of the MLL, what was the biggest I guess learning curve or moment for you moving from you know from playing to then now being on the sideline or you know being a GM or assistant GM?
0: So there was you know when Brendan Kelly bought the Bayhawks, he had established the the deal in two thousand and nine, and then. We were going to take over in 2010 and become the Chesapeake Bayhawks. Um, about from 2001 leading up, we would always put teams together. So it was mine and his responsibility to put the best teams that we could possibly get together. And back, excuse me, back in the day when you played in the MLL, you were still, if you didn't make the playoffs, you were able to go to the events and still play. If you were on a practice squad, you could actually go and play. You know, so it was only the active roster that couldn't play in these other events. So what I had, I had a good knack of, of seeing, um, you know, and, and recognizing talent and who would fit into what we thought was we had the greatest culture in our club team, uh, single source slash smart link. And so we just had great familiarity with these guys. And it was something that I kept doing and putting teams together. And we had great success in winning. So BK had made me you know, his first GM in 2010. And on that team, there was probably, I'd say somewhere around 13 of those guys that had played for us in the club, you know, in the USCLA or down the Ocean City tournament or something of that nature. So we had great uh, charisma. We had, you know, great character and culture and, and we were able to win it that year. So it was a learning lesson because there was, you know, you had to learn how to sell tickets and sponsorships and, You know, Brendan and I were doing all the dirty work. And then when Coach Cottle came in, it was he and I that were doing everything from top to bottom, Um, you know, and so it was it was really a great experience to do all of the fun stuff, which was the equipment, you know, ordering all that stuff and designing the uniforms and picking the team, you know, and potentially helping coach. But then there was the other side of of understanding how, you know, needs of, of companies and how to sell people tickets and things of that nature and really trying to develop and build something that, that had been, hadn't had much success, you know, in terms of pro lacrosse where there weren't a lot of guys that, you know, were coming to games or wanting to sponsor. And I thought that we did a really good job with the Bayhawks and it helped me, you know, continue my career into Atlanta uh, where I spent, you know, a number of years and then obviously one year with the Philadelphia Barrage.
1: Yeah. I I think, (laughs) I mean, it's unique because most of the time when a player becomes a, a, you know, involved it's not directly into management like that and also lacrosse being unique in that you're not <laughs> blessed with you know ticket ops people and like you have to really like especially the older MLL franchises like you said a lot of people are doing it like doing a lot of the little things and you have to learn like the business of sports like it's not just lacrosse anymore it's it's a whole nother animal so that's definitely a, a really unique perspective for sure um, you, you know, you've worked with 3d a little bit, you now work with LSG. Um, you, are kind of involved in a lot of things. You're, you're still coaching high school at Archbishop Spaulding. So what do you see as like, I guess, what do you think the future of lacrosse looks like? What's the, what are the next few things that we need to do as an industry, as a sports, or what are just some little things that we, we should be looking at improving, to, to make things, you know, continue to grow and, and continue this momentum that I feel like we all feel that we have.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think that the, uh, you know, the PLL is doing a wonderful job. Um, you know, I, I think for starters, you know, to have one professional league that kids and, and families can go and see and, and playing in the right markets. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of really, really spectacular people in the game of lacrosse, um, but it's also still the game of lacrosse that we all love. And I don't see anything wrong with making money in it, but you know, there's a lot of competition in it. You know, there's a, there's only certain dates that you can do things. Um, there's, I I believe that the lacrosse community has come together, um, in terms of better than it used to be, but I still, I still think we have a ways to go, you know, in, in getting to the point where it's, I'm not gonna undercut this guy. I don't want to poach that guy to play on my club team. I just think that, you know, one of the things that we see is you see a lot of blowouts in club lacrosse. You see a lot of almost super teams in club lacrosse. And I think that if, if people can get together and, and compete, but also, you know, be very friendly in how they do that, um, I think that that might be missing in the game uh, in, in terms of, you know, in terms of the growth, and, and what's going on and how great the, the, the game is now, I think that it's growing into – when I played as a kid, if you told me a kid from California or Tennessee or Texas was coming in, I knew I was winning. And now if you tell me I don't want to play, you know, because that's how good they've gotten. So I think that the growth across the United States and into different countries has been really, really amazing. Um, and I think that the athlete is different now. You know, I think that you're seeing guys that might have – stayed with base uh, with basketball or ice hockey or football that might, maybe they had a future in that. I believe that now, you know, they're sticking with lacrosse and choosing lacrosse over things, which is really, really cool. Um, and then it's when you stop and you think about some of the bigger names that are involved, we have our big names in terms of Dave Petromala and Dave Cottle at LSG. Um, but when you think of Belichick being involved and now Chris Hogan, you know, hopefully he plays good lacrosse, but there's some really you know big time people that are engaged in this sport and wanting to see this thing grow and 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 who knows maybe it does grab grab legs and we we can become the next NFL or NBA or something of that nature so it's not that I I don't know exactly what's missing because I think that you know one thing that is certain there certainly there is is a heck of a lot of effort um and that's from everybody you know that's involved but um I think that as we get some of these bigger names and we get some of some of the kids to choose the game over another, you know, we can really grow. But it starts with pro lacrosse and, and what's happening there. Um, you know, I, I believe that at LSG, I think that we do a, a tremendous amount right with some of our five-star events. Um, I, I've watched a lot of different showcases and I haven't seen people coach as hard as I saw these gentlemen in IMG over at December coach and I wasn't even working for them, So mm-hmm. it was just very, it was a very cool experience for me to be there. And I think that the kids saw it. So, you know, when you're asking for money, as long as you're doing it the right way and you're giving them every bit of you, then I think it's okay. And I just think we need more of that.
1: Yeah. I think, and I've seen it as well. I think it's all about value, right? Like there's a lot of still cash grabbing a little bit because, if you're the flashiest or the biggest name, you can afford to do that, and there might not be enough substance there. So I think, ultimately, you know, good, bu- good business will win. So, like you said, if you at LSG are providing cr- a tremendous value, then you know, ultimately, that's what's going to play out in the long term. I think as an industry, we're we're a little bit like soccer ten years ago, where like the pa- the passions there from the fans. The numbers are increasing, but like the exposure is what's missing and it's, it's coming like every year it gets better and better. And I, I agree that the PLL, you know, having one league and having shared resources is a benefit. And I think maybe that shake up long-term will be very beneficial as well, just to like shock the industry into saying like, Hey, we can do things differently because it does get kind of stale and stagnant. Um, I think, you know, Overall, like you said, the efforts there. There's a lot of people that do this of uh, just passion. You know, I think lacrosse people are extremely passionate. So, you know, you're one of those people as well. And so, obviously, I appreciate everything that you do for the sport. Uh, I did write an article not too long ago where I was just kind of theoretically picking coaches that could be good coaches for for future PLL teams. And so, you know, I don't want you to make any enemies here or anything like that. But if you were to pick your own staff you know I think right now what is it two two assistant coaches is really what you get you know are there two guys that jump to the front of the line for you I, I I poked fun that there could be an all LsG group which would be pretty epic but if you're the head guy who who would be the two guys that you would you know go to go to war with every
0: time there's a uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there there's a there's a couple of guys that I work in you know in the office every day with that are they're okay. Lacrosse guys and Dave Cottle and Dave Petromala. They're not quite where I am, but they're pretty good. Um, <laughs> so it, would, it would be, you know, I, I've coached and, and worked with coach Cottle, you know, before I've coached mm-hmm. against him. Um, and he's always had an amazing mind for the game. And one of the things that he's very good at is he's also very good at judging and and finding talent and finding guys that, that can play it. Um, you know, coach Petro's resume speaks for itself and what he was able to do as a player and coach at Johns Hopkins. Um, you know, and, and, and what he's able to do with just the, the kids around that, have, that have, have kind of had the benefit of being coached by him. Um, so certainly those two would, would, would definitely jump off the page. I, uh, I established a great relationship with, with Tommy Mariano uh, at the Bayhawks. So, you know, working with him, I think, would be very, very cool. And I know that you, you had mentioned him. Uh, one guy that, that I've always appreciated being around and we've worked well together is uh, Jamie Hanford. Jamie just brings a lot of light to the game. He brings a lot of fun. Um, he's very knowledgeable. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you do these things, you know, you got to have a great time doing it. We're all very knowledgeable, I think, in, in what we want to do and how we want to play. Um, but if you can't get along as a staff and, and you know, and, and, and really work together and not really care who's doing, you know, who's doing what, who's in charge, um, I think it could be, it could work against you, but there's so many, I mean, there's so many different names and I certainly don't want to get in trouble yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and leave somebody
0: out. Um, uh, one of the, one of the other guys that, um, that I would love to coach with or, or just be around is Roy Colsey. I've always been, you know, I've always been in, in all of him as a player and as a person and I've been able to witness him on the field with some in some of the club, you know, games that we've coached, um, but I just think that, you know, when everybody calls you Uncle Roy and, you know, you're that close to many people in the game, I would just love, you know, and I think it'd be a pretty cool experience with him.
1: Absolutely. And so I'll leave you with this last question. I think you're, you're equipped to, to answer this, certainly. As a high school coach running events, club coach, professional coach in the past, what would be one piece of advice to give uh, a high schooler today when, in regards to recruitment? Cause I think there's so much misinformation out there about what is available and what isn't and what the right choice might be. And, you know, a lot of guys are D one or bust. So what's kind of like the one piece of advice or maybe two that you could give a high schooler today it, through the recruitment process?
0: Well, I think that, you know, this will be a longer answer. Um, but I think that we're witnessing not only in the pro league, but we're also witnessing in Division One college right now that there have been a lot of Division Two and Division Three players that have now transferred and luckily have been granted their fifth year, and they are just making waves in Division One. You have the kid Bertrand at uh, at Virginia, um, the kid that's at High Point that's playing mm-hmm. high high level lacrosse, you know. And I can go on and on and on yep. and on. Um, but what I do believe is that that you know through Pro lacrosse and and i would like to think that i did it as well but you're able to find that there are some really really good young men playing the game at the division two and the division three ranks and you know and i think we're seeing more and more every year uh the piece of advice that i would give is twofold number one is that these showcases that these gentlemen are going to you know you have to pick uh, clearly what's right for you um you know, for me, I was lucky enough before I went to work with LSG to experience the event, one of the events that they were doing, and I was absolutely blown away. I had no loved ones there, um, I had kids that I was friendly there, but it was get here and we want you to coach just as hard as you're expecting these kids to play. And so I think that the kids were able to get a lot out of it. You know, so I would certainly put a check mark against the uh, you know the, the five star events. And then the, the thing personally for a lot of these kids is take your time. Many of the division one, two, and three college coaches that I speak to, you know, when I ask, I have a 2024, he's a freshman now, he made varsity. He's a good player. I think he's got a bright future, you know, and the one thing that they tell me is, yeah, he's good and all this stuff, but take your time. Don't worry about this. Enjoy it. You know, get good grades, study hard, work your tail off, you know, make sure you enjoy this whole process. So I think that if, if, if any kid was listening and walked away with this and is wondering, why aren't I getting calls or why haven't I gotten recruited? People will find you and the fit will be the right fit, you know, with what's best for you. So certainly take your time and, and do what's right for you.
1: That's great advice. That's really good advice. And I mean, just out of curiosity, what are, what are the chances we ever see at one of these summer tournaments, maybe when, you know, all of your kids graduate a MLL, alumni son team because there's quite a few of those guys around right now between your son you got you got Petro's kids you've got uh, Spelina's kids you got uh, Millen's kids you could have quite a team of just MLL uh, kids I would love to tell uh, you right
0: now um, you know I, I would hope you know my son's a little younger than those guys being a freshman but I don't think we're gonna have to wait very long to see the Petros and the Millens and the Spelinas get drafted. I think that there's a heck of a lot of <laughs> of really good ones in the 24, 23, 22 class. And uh, it would be a dream come true for me to be able to watch my boy as well as some of my buddies' boys, you know, suit up in a pro league that, you know, you'd like to think that, you know, you helped build. So it it would be certainly cool, but I don't think they need our help. I think they're gonna do it on their own.
1: Well, there's no PLL without the MLL and I won't let anyone ever forget that. So thanks for all you've done coach. Best of luck with your high school team and with all the events and everything like that. And I appreciate your time.
0: I appreciate it. You take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe, give us a review, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Going Off Sides.